I meant you to turn over into your bulletin <clears throat> to our passage this morning. It's over, I put it over there on page three, along with a, an outline for, for a message this morning. We're going to be reading from and studying Luke chapter three this morning. If you've been with us at Emmanuel uh, through the months of De- or the weeks of December, Advent season, we've been studying various Old Testament prophets and looking at how they prepared the way for the coming of Jesus. Well, there's actually one last Old Covenant prophet that appears before the ministry of Jesus begins, and that's John the Baptist. He's an Old Covenant prophet who shows up on the other side of Jesus' birth, so maybe the timing is right, right after Christmas, one last Old Covenant prophet preparing the way for Jesus. And I think a good way for us to to start the new year together, uh, looking at at this passage as John explains for us uh, who this Jesus is all about, uh, who he is, what he's come to do, and how that affects us and who we are to be and what we are here to do. Let's first read God's word together and then we'll we'll pray. Uh, So Luke chapter 3, 15 to 22. As the people were in expectation... And all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, uh, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Let's pray for God's blessing on his word. Lord, we do ask and look to you to use your word as you promised to do that good work of teaching and challenging and encouraging and and showing us the Lord Jesus, the one who is the way and the truth and the life. So do that good work among us here this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, of course, most of you have been around long enough to know how this week between Christmas and New Year's typically works. This is the week when you get bombarded with all those details about the new year, right? All the blogs, all the advertisements, all the newspaper articles, all the suggestions, the five tips and ten points, and it's all about what resolutions to make and what plans to lay down and how you set goals and how you make those, those, uh, those health commitments and those renovating projects that you have in mind, getting in shape, the whole thing, all about organizing what are our hopes, our plans, our dreams, our goals, In the year ahead. Well, here we have a passage, and it's really all about Jesus, who he is, and what he has planned. And maybe that's actually a great way for us to begin. 
first of all, because it does get our eyes off of ourselves and onto the one more significant than us. That's probably a very healthy thing to do. But also, uh, an important thing for the believer, uh, because for Christians, what, where our identity comes from, uh, who we are and what we're to be about, is, is directly tied to who Jesus is and what he is about. You can't really understand the one without the other. So looking at the life and the ministry and purpose of Jesus is the way in which we discover what our life and, and purpose is about. So studying him, we learn about us. So let's do that together uh, as, we, as we look at this passage. It's, a, it's a, a rich biblical and theological journey, so hopefully it'll be, uh, be encouraging and just interesting as we go, but also, I think, helpful uh, as we look to the year ahead. The, the landmarks along the, along the passage are all about baptisms. Uh, so a number of different baptisms that kind of break up the passage and what it's about. And so we'll start with the first one, which is the baptism of preparation. So we start off the passage, verse 15, uh, kind of in right in the middle of the ministry of John the Baptist. Luke has already described how he's gathered a, a very big following at this point, uh, caused quite a stir in the process. Even non-Christian historians like Josephus, for example, uh, remarks about how John had this great following, caused a great stir. Uh, and so verse 15, it's that, it's that degree of crowd that, that raises this question. Is John the promised Messiah? Right? There are these prophets and predicting this great king to come, this great one who will gather God's people together. Maybe he's it. Look at how many people are gathering. And John's quick to dispel that. No, he's not the Christ. And he describes it. Here's how you know uh, I'm not the one. He says, just look at what baptism I give. Just look at what baptism I give. He says, I only baptize with water. So verse 16, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. And what about his baptism? He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So I'm not the Messiah. Here's how you know my baptism is just with water. But not that his baptism was insignificant. It played a key role. It was the baptism of preparation. That's what Luke has already described, even quoting from Isaiah uh, saying this is the, the making the way clear, preparing the way for the coming of the, of the Messiah. Uh, Luke quotes from Isaiah, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. In other words, the, the great king is coming, so prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. It's like you would if a great, a great dignitary was showing up in your town. You'd get things ready. You can imagine what would happen around Medford if it was suddenly announced that the Queen of England was going to visit Main Street. There'd be all kinds of activity, all kinds of clean things up. The mayor saying, you know, power wash your sidewalks on Main Street, plant some flowers, get things ready, roll out the red carpet. Someone important is coming. And that's the role that John the Baptist plays. Uh, the King of Kings is arriving uh, and there is preparation to do. Only the, only the cleaning and the red carpet is not about outward appearance. Uh, it's about inward sin. And so his, his message is that of repentance, that of turning from sin uh, to the Lord for his forgiveness, preparing the way for the coming of the king by turning from sin. And so he's encouraged the people uh, as, as they come to him uh, to bear fruit in keeping with repentance, 
This is just a passage just previous to what we read. He actually goes to different groups and tells them specifically for them what it looks like to turn from their sin. So he says to tax collectors, stop collecting more than you should. Stop stealing from people. He says to the soldiers, stop abusing your power and be content with your, with your wages. He dives into where they live and tells them to turn from their specific sin. And the, and the baptism, uh, the water baptism, is a picture of that, right? Like water cleanses, and so, so it's to an outward picture of what John is telling them to do. Cleanse your lives uh, from sin in preparation for the coming of Jesus, a baptism of preparation. I wonder if we were back in John's day, and we were in that crowd, what kinds of sins he would call us to turn from. Uh, right? It's very specific as John talks to the various groups. So what would he say to you? In, in your world, your uh, occupation, your details of your life, what, what's the crud he would say to uh, power wash off of your life, uh, your heart? Can he get that specific? As specific as John does with the soldiers and with the tax collectors, what would John say? That's got to go. That's got to be cleansed. Preparation and a baptism of preparation, which just sets the stage uh, for a more significant baptism, John says, a baptism of spirit and fire. So he says, I baptize you with water, right, preparation, but he who is mightier than I is coming. What's his baptism? He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So what's, what's this baptism all about? Well, the, the, the one key thing to notice is that what John is describing here with a baptism of Holy Spirit and fire is not two different baptisms, but one with two results. So he's not saying baptism with Holy Spirit here and baptism with fire there. Uh, he's talking about one baptism, a spirit-fire baptism, that ends up having two different results. That's what the coming of Jesus uh, is all about. And to help you know, get us understanding what that means, John gives a, a sermon illustration. And his sermon illustration is, just think of harvest time. Of course, this would be very familiar to them, not as much to us. Uh, so we gotta, we got to put on our, our first century agricultural thinking caps. Uh, so what would you do when it was harvest time? The, the wheat or the barley is, has come in. Well, of course, first thing you do is you cut it down. Then you make a big pile of it on your threshing floor. Uh, but you, you only want the good kernels of wheat. You don't want all the, all the outer husk and, and pieces of, of, of stock. You want to get rid of all that stuff that's inedible. You just want the kernels. So there's that process of separation. Uh, well, one of the big tasks there is winnowing. All right, John speaks about the winnowing fork in the hand of, in the hand of Jesus. Well, what do you do with the winnowing fork? You go to your threshing floor when you have the kernels and the chaff all mixed up together. You take that winnowing fork, which is essentially a, a wooden pitchfork-looking thing. You take that fork, you stick it into the big pile of a pile of stuff, a mix of mix of stuff, and you throw it in the air. And if you throw it in the air, and there was a little bit of wind, like there often was in the mornings and the evenings and in that day, throw it in the air. You can imagine what happens: that the that the light chaff starts to blow away, and, and the heavy kernels of grain that you want just fall straight down. 
And you keep doing that. You keep tossing and tossing and tossing and tossing. Sure enough, at the end of that process, you're going to have a pile of good wheat at your feet or good barley grains at your feet. Uh, and off to the side, downwind, you have a pile of the chaff that's useless. And so one act, winnowing, throwing the grain in the air, but you get two very different results. One, you get the, the, you get the grain that you want and you'll gather to keep, and you get the chaff that's useless, and so that just gets burned in the fire. And John says, that's what the Messiah is going to do. Uh, that's what his coming is all about. That's what the, the spirit fire baptism is. Uh, it's, this, it's this winnowing uh, that, that ends up uh, producing a separation, one act, but separation, uh, some for, for salvation and some for judgment. Uh, you might know that that picture of, of harvest is, a, is an often a picture of, of judgment uh, in, in Scripture. Uh, and, that's, and that's exactly what this, this spirit fire baptism is, is all about. For those who, who turn from their sin and trust in the Savior, uh, his coming is, is rescue. It's salvation. It's God gathering his people to himself. Uh, but for those who refuse to turn from their sin, who reject the, the Messiah and his salvation, it's like that chaff that's blown away. Uh, it's, it's, it's only uh, future is, is the fire to be burned, a picture of, of judgment, even eternal judgment. Uh, maybe you're able to tie it into our scripture reading that we read this morning from, from Malachi, uh, where it talks about the, the day of his coming, and it was described there as a, like a burning oven. And it talked about some, the, 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 the unrepentant being like stubble burned, uh, but there's, there's also the righteous who end up uh, receiving salvation and, and rescue. It also uses that picture of refining metal, right? The, the coming is going to be like a refiner's fire, which is very similar to that, that winnowing harvest image where you get one act that produces two results, right? You take a, a hunk of impure metal and you put it in the fire and, and that which is, that which is uh, impure gets burned off and that which is pure is, is refined, right? It's similar to that winnowing harvest picture. So how is this fulfilled in the life, in the life of Jesus? And his coming. John says his winnowing fork is in his hand. He's, in other words, he's ready to start this work uh, of, of separation and, and judgment. Well, ultimately, uh, like, like many prophecies, there's, there's a stages of fulfillment. Uh, the final, ultimate fulfillment of this picture of, of winnowing by Jesus is what happens at the end of the age, when Jesus comes back a second time. And that, that you might know, even in Jesus' own teaching, is how he describes his coming back as a kind of harvest, where there's a separation. Uh, sheep and the goats, good fish from bad fish, and, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, where, where, where those who are rescued and cleansed by the Savior through faith are, are, are rescued like that, those kernels of grain, and those who refuse and are stuck in their sin uh, are, are like the chaff. Uh, and eternal judgment comes. So ultimately it's fulfilled at the second coming, but, uh, but this begins to be fulfilled even in the age of the church. Uh, uh, for example, you might, think of, you might think of the book of Acts, uh, right? real, real, real biblical theological uh, journey here today. So think of the book of Acts, what happens? Uh, you have the, the word of Jesus going forth, and you have the spirit being poured out. You might remember that's how the book of Acts begins. 
there is uh, a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Remember how John's connecting this winnowing to baptism of spirit and fire. And remember, in the beginning of the book of Acts, the Spirit is poured out. The church, the disciples, baptized with the Holy Spirit. Uh, and that has a fire element to it, does it? Doesn't it? Remember, as the Spirit's poured out in that upper room, there's, there's tongues of fire that appear upon the disciples' heads. So here's the, for them, for those who believe, this, this pouring out of the Spirit, uh, it doesn't, the fire doesn't consume them. Instead, it strengthens them. It, it brings life and rescue. They're, those who were afraid are now able to preach the gospel openly. And the same thing to many that they preach to. You might remember uh, Peter, strengthened by that, that, that spirit fire baptism of Jesus, is able to preach to the crowds. The same scared Peter from before. Now he preaches boldly, and, and, and people, their hearts are changed. All right? they, they actually say to Peter the same question that the crowds were asking John generations or uh, years before, what shall we do? And Peter says a similar thing, repent, right? trust in, in the work of Jesus, and we're told that 3,000 people repent and receive the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit fire baptism uh, that comes upon the church there in Acts 2, uh, for many, it's life. But we also read through Acts, and that the same, the same pouring out of the Spirit through by Jesus also brings judgment on some. Now, probably the most prominent example would be in Acts 5. You have Remember that couple, Ananias and Sapphira? Uh, they, they lie to the, to the church about, about how much they're giving, and they're, and they're struck dead. They're, they're judged. And we get the explanation. We're told that they test the Holy Spirit and that they lie to the Holy Spirit. Uh, right? this, this spirit that has just been poured out on the church, uh, the, the spirit baptism that's come upon the church, well, for this couple, that coming of the Spirit means judgment. It kind of sounds exactly what Jesus was, what John was, was predicting, that the spirit fire baptism is like, a, is like a winnowing. For some, it means salvation. The grain, grain drops to the ground. But for others, those who refuse to believe, it's a kind of judgment. And indeed, that's what happens uh, throughout the church age. As the, as the good news of Jesus goes forth, some receive it, and uh, that word in the power of the spirit is life. It doesn't consume, but it but it gives life, and for others, uh, they're hardened, and even their, their own rejection, a kind of judgment, all ready for the, the ultimate judgment to come. Now, maybe, maybe this is a good point to, to try to make it personal for, for each of us. All right? as, the, as the word of Jesus goes forth to us, even, even today, even this morning, uh, Jesus is, is, is proclaiming uh, who he is and what he's done. Uh, and so as, as the, the call of Jesus goes forth, there is that challenge to each of us. Are, are we turning from our sin and trusting in the salvation that Jesus has won? Uh, is that what, what you're looking to for, for life, for rescue, uh, knowing that, uh, that, that that is what God is sending forth? Are you trusting in the Lord Jesus? Well, one more baptism before we uh, bring it all together, and that's the baptism of the Messiah. So John has promised, here's this one to come, he's going to show up, and he's going to baptize with spirit and fire. Uh, and we said that you start to get a fulfillment of that in Acts, uh, ultimately up to judgment. But, you, but between this, the beginning of Luke, and the beginning of Acts, there's a, here's this whole gap, uh, this whole delay, before Jesus pours out the spirit. Uh, and what happens in that, in that gap? 
well, in that gap, you have the life and ministry of Jesus. Uh, you have Jesus as the one who is doing his work. Uh, and, and here that work begins by Jesus coming to John, and he himself is baptized. And you might remember how John, in, in other places, is really confused by Jesus coming to be baptized, saying, like, hold it, I, I shouldn't be baptizing you, you should be baptizing me. John getting it, at least in part, that this Jesus doesn't need to be baptized. He's the spotless one, right? Remember, John's baptism is all about repentance and turning from sin. Well, here's Jesus, he's spotless. Why does he need a cleansing from sin? He doesn't. Uh, but what he's, he's doing in coming to be baptized is beginning his life and ministry of being identified with sinners, uh, representing sinners. It begins at his baptism, as he is baptized just like them, not because of his sin, but because he's beginning to be identified with them. And, of course, that being identified with sinners is what ultimately uh, takes him to the cross. Because that's what we know the cross is all about. Jesus dying, uh, not for his own sin, but for the sins of his people, that he is connected to, that he represents. Uh, the, 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 the judgment that comes on the cross, you could rightly think of the cross as, as the fire descending upon Jesus. Uh, that it it's, takes place not because he deserves to be judged, well, because he's judged in place of his people. And we shouldn't be surprised at all that, that Jesus describes his work on the cross as a baptism. Right? Here's, here's Luke 12. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. He's talking about the cross. Right? The, 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 the intense agony and distress of that moment, he's anticipating, even though he's not there yet, and he calls it, it's going to be a baptism. Well, this is, this is the ultimate baptism, fire judgment baptism. It falls on Christ. And it's, that, it's what takes place in that gap uh, between what John is doing and predicting and the, and the spirit fire baptism that Jesus pours out. Uh, in the gap, Jesus himself is baptized with fire. He bears sin for his people. And that's the really good news for us. Uh, because if Jesus just came uh, as the king and came and brought an end times judgment, we would all be consumed. Uh, there is not one of us uh, who would stand in that day. Uh, but, but God's plan and Jesus' plan was all about uh, a delay uh, so that he could live righteously and bear the judgment we deserve, bear the, the fire baptism that, that we all deserve. And there's the good news. It's fallen on Christ in place of sinners. This is why trusting in him brings life. It's not because trusting in Jesus is this one righteous thing that impresses God. It's because trusting in Jesus means the, the baptism of fire, of judgment, falls on him instead of you. Uh, it means he takes what you deserve so that there is no judgment left for you. So that you end up like those disciples in Acts 2, uh, where Jesus pours out the, the spirit fire baptism, but it doesn't consume you. It doesn't judge you. Instead, it, it strengthens and empowers you, uh, gives you life. Yeah, because Jesus took the judgment in your place. Uh, this is the hope. This is what Jesus came uh, to be and to do. And John, before it even starts, be, is beginning to lay it out. And Jesus, in his actions, 
uh, is beginning to lay it out. And it really defines, then, who we are and what we're to be about as believers. That's what we said. Uh, even getting ready for a new year, trying to think of, okay, well, what are, who are we and, and what's our life all to be about? And we said, first, we've got to talk about Jesus. Uh, right? So for, cause the, for the believer, uh, our identity and our purpose is wrapped up in his identity and his purpose. Uh, so we, we've learned more about Jesus, why he came, why he came as the, as the one with the, the winnowing fork to produce this separation, to take the judgment himself to free his people. And what that does is then defines who we are as those who trust in him. Of course, the first step we said, you gotta, you got to trust in Jesus and know him. So if you're not clinging to Christ by faith, there's where you start. But for those of you who are in Christ, uh, here, is, here is a picture of your identity and purpose. And we could maybe quickly break it down into three, uh, three aspects. Our identity is wheat, uh, living the way of Christ, and proclaiming Christ. So the, the identity is wheat. So right, Jesus defines what our identity is, who we are. Uh, and again, we, we looked at that picture of Jesus in the threshing floor and said, oh yeah, that's me, uh, the, the one who's been rescued. Uh, the one who has been who has been delivered, that Jesus took the, the the fire baptism of judgment for me, so that I could be gathered uh, to the Lord in salvation. That that's that's who you are, that's your identity, uh, and and we need, do need to remind ourselves of that, especially when we get into a new year and we start thinking about things we want to do, goals we want to have. Not that there's wrong with the details, you know. Dive into that new exercise program, go for it. Uh, but as you do, remind yourself that your identity is not wrapped up in your health or in your waistline. It's not. Uh, go for that home renovation project. Do it. Do it mightily, heartily. But remind yourself as you do that your identity is not wrapped up with how organized your closet is or how beautiful uh, your home looks. Uh, it's not. Your identity as a believer is all about Jesus and what he's done. Uh, you're rescuing him. That's what gives you, uh, gives you life. That's what gives you hope. That's what means who you are. And then from there, it defines what your life is to be about. Uh, if it's wrapped up with Jesus, uh, it means you can expect that your life is all about the way of Christ, uh, which means that there might be difficulty, but that difficulty is going to produce life. Right? The way of Jesus uh, had him going to the cross. Uh, the greatest of difficulty... But it brought forth life. And so as we look to a new year, we shouldn't be surprised if God brings us down similar paths. It might be through difficulty. Uh, but that difficulty is not disaster for those who are connected to Christ. We're safe because he took our, the judgment for us. And even so, connected to Jesus, it means we walk that road and we can expect, even through the difficulty, God's going to bring about life. Life for us as we're purified and transformed and life through us to others, blessing others even through, even through the, the hardship and difficulty that, that we bear. So the difficulty doesn't have to uh, consume us, frighten us, overwhelm us. Indeed, we can look uh, with those eyes of Christ because we're connected to Christ. So we're connected to him. That means we walk the way of Christ. It means also a priority on the proclamation of Christ, that we're in the world to be those who, who proclaim Jesus with our words and with our lives, and so you can think about where the Lord has you, 
uh, in, the, in the job that he has you, in the neighborhood he has you, in the family that he has you. And he has you as, as the, the aroma of Christ there. You might remember that's how, that's how Paul puts uh, his, his life and the other apostles. He says, we're the, we're the aroma of Christ, we're the, the smell of Christ in the world. And, it's, and he says it's very much like that, that, that winnowing uh, analogy, is that it, there's a, a separation, there's a difference. And he says, for those who are perishing, uh, we're the aroma of death. Uh, but for those who are being saved, it's the aroma of life. Uh, and so as we're representatives of Jesus in the world, when we have that smell of Christ with our words and with our, our, our lives, uh, we can expect some that will bring life to and will be, will be salvation. God will work through us. For some, it might be rejection. Uh, but that, too, is the, is the work of the kingdom advancing, even that separation. But what we're to focus on is not the results, uh, but asking the Lord, what does it look like for me where, God, you've put me to be that aroma of Christ uh, in, my, in my home so that my kids get the, the smell of Christ from me in my words, in how I, in how I care for them, uh, in how I sacrifice for them, in my, in my earthly calling, using my gifts to, to love, to serve, looking for opportunities to speak of him, the aroma of Christ at, at work, uh, or in your neighborhood with your, your neighbors as they're walking through challenging things, the aroma of Christ there, even in the church. Uh, how do we love and serve one another? Yeah, because we need to hear, keep hearing about Jesus as we uh, have our brothers and sisters love us and serve us and encourage us with the good news. So it's getting ready for, the, for a new year by looking, and not first and foremost about us, but, but about Jesus, seeing, seeing who he is, what he uh, came to do, and then realizing that's our life, that's our identity, and then that's our purpose and calling. Uh, so let's look to him in prayer then. Father, we do thank you, praise you for, uh, for your goodness and your care, for your mercies and your grace. Thank you, Lord, for, uh, for that, that saving, rescuing work of Christ. Lord, give us increasing faith and joy in him. Uh, Lord, help us to see who we are uh, connected to him. Uh, and then, Lord, give us the, the strength to, uh, to live that out in the details of life, that you might, you might be indeed that, that aroma of Christ in us and through us. Lord, for your glory we do pray it. In Jesus' name, amen.